What is up, everybody? Welcome to the DFS MVP Championship Round Edition. This is our final podcast of the 2021 season. Uh, we will have Super Bowl single game content up, but as far as DFS MVP contest goes, uh, uh, podcast goes, this is the last one um, of the year. As always, I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com with my co-host Ryan Noonan. Uh, today will not be a uh, Bills postmortem only show. We will get into uh, everything uh, for this slate. Uh, before we get into that, Ryan, what is going on um, in the betting world over at 444? Well, first, it's been a pleasure, Teach, to be on this little playoff journey with you. I wish we were still talking about the Bills. Again, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we did that before we hit record. But uh, yeah, everything is good in the four for four worlds. You know, obviously the DFS game, uh, as far as football goes, stops. But we are doing some DFS content on the uh, golf side now, which is nice. Yep. Uh, we are, you know, have a little bit of that in our uh, betting preview. It's kind of one of our our guy Ron PGA splits does a about as good as it gets out there in the industry yeah. from a preview standpoint. That it's got encapsulating betting and DFS. So, uh, but lots of other sports coming. We are actually going to have. NASCAR betting content on the sites uh, as Daytona rolls in the play here, I guess, in mid late February. So, continuing to layer in new sports as you guys let us know you have interest in them. So, um, betting sub is going to get you access to all of everything on the site, including uh, all of TJ's DFS stuff next year. So, definitely check it out on the site. It is uh, the best way to to take advantage of four for four's subscription. It's I, compared to other stuff in the market. I know we are obviously massively biased, but if you just Go to some checkout pages out out there, um, competitors, and it, it is you're paying half the price. Yeah, uh, and I would stand by our content with any of those folks. Yeah, if you've been a um, long time four for four subscriber, um, this year might be uh, you might notice it's a little different in terms of when the new year starts. Typically, day after Super Bowl has been our new year. Um, new year already started, so if you sign up for the four for four subscription right now, there is a slight di discount, um, and that will get you all the way through February of next year. So whether it's betting, DFS redraft or you want to dabble um in all of them if you sign up now you will have access uh through next year through 2023 uh february 2023 so make sure uh you get that so you can get all that good uh pga basketball even nascar content going uh let's jump into a uh, small two-game slate our last um normal uh dfs slate of the season of course super bowl like i said there is a showdown but uh as far as we're concerned the last slate of the season starting off the early game uh with what should be the high scoring game Bengals at chiefs and over under a 54 and a half Bengals are seven and a half point underdogs with an implied point total of 23 and a half chiefs favored by seven and a half 31 point implied point total is the highest on the slate and probably not surprisingly, most of the chalk is coming from this game. We have eight players projected for over 40% ownership on this two-game slate. Six of them are coming from this game. So uh, your normal players on the Chiefs side, Mahomes, Tyreek, and Kelsey will be very chalky. Uh, McKinnon might be the chalkiest player on the slate just because he's uh, very affordable. And then likewise on the Bengals side, Burrow. 
Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, they will all be um, at or around 40%, if not higher. Not Burrow, because quarterbacks are a little bit different, but all those other players should be uh, at or around 40%. And the Chiefs defense will probably be the most popular defense on the slate, just because they are the biggest favorites. Um, they're priced a little bit below the Rams, so uh, teams will be able to comfortably get the Chiefs in there, even if they're really stacking this game a lot. Uh, Chiefs will just make it into a lot of lineups. So as far as the uh, the chalk goes, any any players that stand out that you like or don't like? Yeah, I mean, you laid it out, man. Like it's like you even would think, all right, I want to get off of Jamar Chase because yeah. he blew up for 11, 266, and three scores. Mm-hmm. But like it looks like T. Higgins is going to be just his own because there's like a thousand dollar savings. So like all the chalk is good chalk. I don't know that yeah. any of it is bad per se. Um, it really this is such a game theory slates and even that's yeah. kind of hard because we're so limited and it's the opposite mm-hmm. of last week where we talked about how it was going to be just so easy to kind of punt down the road and leave flexibility for late yeah. swap because of the chiefs bills game and now we have the opposite where everyone's going to be jammed in up front on the Bengals and chiefs because mm-hmm. it's like eight point total higher yeah. than and it's really actually kind of hard it's not even just that i think it's it's a little bit hard especially on the san francisco side to like really pinpoint how you would even like stack or onslaught that team so yeah that makes it even easier to really build stacks and lineups here in this one. So I think it's all good chalk. I think the running back situation, especially on the Kansas city side is an interesting thing. I think the McKinnon, first of all, the McKinnon price is egregious. Um, I think CEH looked pretty good yeah. and, you know, looks to maybe could be trending into some of that early down stuff. So, uh, but Mc, the McKinnon floor in the passing game, I mean, he basically had all the third down, all the long down and distance stuff, you know, massive target share, which we absolutely love, especially, full point on DraftKings. Uh, but if there's a scenario where if you're building thinking that the Chiefs are blowing them out, then maybe there's a CAH thing there. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, on the chalk standpoint, it's all good chalk. I don't know how yeah. you differentiate because, like you said, they're all 40 to 60% off. Yeah, I, I think it just kind of like – Again, so many of the popular players are coming from this game. Um, and, and again, like like you talked about, this this two-game slate, um, the combinations are very limited. We talked about it last week. The four-game slate was the main on DraftKings. If we go back to the wild card round, there's a two-game slate and a three-game slate. And we were talking about how the three-game slate just fits our eye a little bit better. Um, the two-game slate, you, it's really just a matter of going out of your way to be unique, um, whether it's just with mega stacks or by leaving salary on the table. Like, there's only three or four guys that are viable, like sub 15%, even sub 20% um, plays when the slate is this short. So I I do think it's a good week if you... If you haven't like dabbled a lot with lineup generators and setting types of rules, like locking in just like some mega stacks, maybe like four players from one team, and then something like leaving five hundred dollars on the table and seeing what kind of combinations you come up with, um, I, I think it's fun to practice that. Um, but the point is, I, I think, like you said, all the chalk is good, so it's kind of like where are these players most likely to succeed? What chalk might not go off as much as the other chalk? Um, this one seems obvious, but the Chiefs passing game just is is really hard for me to pass up on this slate. I mean, we do still have three other games, three other teams to choose from. Uh, so not every lineup is just going to smash lock every Chiefs um, player. But if we look at the fact that, again, McKinnon might be the highest on player on the slate um, because he is so cheap. He's actually priced um, below CEH and the rest of the pass catchers in this game are going to split ownership to some degree. You can still whoever you like whether it's Tyreek or Kelsey really go overweight on these guys like there's I I think it's if they're going to be in 40% of lineups it's not egregious to have 
either player and say 80 percent of your lineups or something yeah. like that um C- cincinnati does pose the best on paper matchup for the Chiefs passing game. They finished 31st in schedule adjusted fantasy points to tight ends, 24th against wide receivers. That's the only defensive matchup of the whole week where te- a defense ranks in the bottom 10 in schedule adjusted points allowed in the regular season to any position. Every other matchup is, um, is, uh, above the top 10 or, or bottom 10 excuse me um, so that should be very juicy for the Chiefs I don't think anybody thought um, it wouldn't be easy for them but uh, I, I'm just really heavily stacking uh, the Chiefs and their studs and and really just trying to figure out from there and then on the the Bengals side um, Mixon will be popular but he is really priced up so mm-hmm. he's he's even though he it's, it's kind of weird because even though he's going to be a chalk play he's probably going to fit into more contrarian builds because if you're playing him it's going to get you off of either chase or one of the big names um on the chief side of the ball so out of all of those players on the Bengals side i really do like jamar chase uh his 18 targets are tied for the most in the playoffs among the remaining teams tied with tyree kill and cooper cup uh 18 targets through two games and 225 playoff yards without a touchdown uh you mentioned he had that big game against the chiefs back in week 16 or 17 or whatever it was um so hopefully if you're playing him he has um, the chance to really uh, go off again Uh, as far as the players that we haven't mentioned are there on any I guess no one's really under the radar but um, not chalk plays on either side that stand out to you yeah the mixing thing's interesting Um, I could see him being a nice piece in stacks for the late game Uh, you're looking to you know get into that but um, yeah I mean anyone that's not mentioned like I said I think the the running back situation is interesting if you were thinking Mm -hmm. that um, you know, I wish we were in a situation where we could get the box score bros and take advantage of kind of the reaction to week 17 because yeah. they combined like Kelsey and Hill combined for 11 catches for 65 yards. Like, yep. That's really hard for those guys to do, um, you know, 25 yards for Kelsey in a great, great matchup and, you know, had volume, had receptions, mm-hmm. had targets. They just didn't blow up. And that's kind of scary, too, is to think that those two combined for 11 for 65 and the Chiefs still got 31 on the board, yeah. you know? So maybe there's a way to get contrarian with the KC passing game mm-hmm. where you maybe leave both of those guys off, which is really, yeah. really hard. But to your point, like, it's kind of what we have to do. We have to be extra uncomfortable here. That kind of solves two things at once. We avoid the ownership, and by naturally doing that, we either can leave money on the table more comfortably or we leave more money to spend up on the late game, which is yeah. obviously going to be – uh, the lesser owned game. I mean, the Demarcus Robinson stuff is like, hold your nose, gross. But he's out there a lot. Um, he was basically running wind sprints against the Bills because he was out there a ton. But the couple weeks prior, he saw a decent amount of action. The Pittsburgh game, um, you know, he actually had four or five targets there and came down with a bunch of them too. Like, you know, ideally you need him to get in the end zone. Uh, in the Cole Hardman stuff is a lot of gadget plays. You know, really hasn't had any real work in the last couple of months other than when Tyreek was out in that week 18 game, you know, he's been 34, 35% snap rate. Um, you know, Byron Pringle probably makes the most sense. He continues to be out there the most in the 65 to 70% snap range. So that's probably an interesting way to still attack what we think is probably the best offense in the slates yeah. through the air. Um, but again, I kind of go back to the CEH stuff. I think that McKinnon is such a good play and he's cheap. He's so easy to click. Uh, then the McKinnon stuff, if they just so happen to use him as they have been, which looks like a little bit more of an early down grinder, and we get into a situ- situation where 
KC kind of runs away in the second half, and we're going to see maybe even 50, 60% CEH instead of what we saw last week, which was like 35%. Uh, that's a nice little you know correlation with the KC defense that, again, probably isn't under-owned or isn't low-owned, but relative to the obviously the Tyreek stuff and the Kelsey stuff, it's probably a little bit more contrarian. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about a lot in DFS. Um, we're playing for these outlier weeks and, and in tournaments. Um, we're, we're playing for ceiling and not necessarily median projections. But on on things like, like a full main slate, the, the chalkiest players, they still often are the players that are projecting the best relative to the field right. and relative to their salary. And oftentimes those players st- still end up in winning lineups. Um just because we have such a big player pool to choose from. And if we have, you know, four or five players projecting very well above the field, um, those players, one or two of those players probably going to end up in winning lineups. When the slate gets this small, I mean, I, I don't want to say you throw projections out the window, but you are just really looking for extreme outlier scenarios uh, for yourself uh, to succeed. So I, I do like the idea that you mentioned of, if you're going to play Mahomes and getting really unique, going back to that game, seeing that both um, Hill and Kelsey underperformed, I think the way to maybe manage that. I don't know if I if I have it in me to leave both of uh, both of them out of my lineup, but I think taking a stand on one of them and like maybe doing something where you triple Kelsey with uh, triple Mahomes with like Kelsey Pringle and Miko Hardman is very interesting. Pringle, as you mentioned, uh, seven targets per game uh, in the playoffs, that's just one fewer than Kelsey. He'll probably be sub 25%. And Miko Hardman isn't going to get, you know, he's not going to get 10 targets. But as we saw last week, they're going to manufacture his touches for him. And if, you know, he scores on one play and it's a 65-yard rush or something, he can get you another two for 30 through the air, like you're probably in a pretty good spot there. So I, I think there are ways to go really heavy on the chief side and, and hope that they do have just one of their players just score um, in a flash. And then on the other side, I mean, CJ Zoma is kind of stands out as like the one of the best leverage plays of the week. He's going to be the least popular tight end um, on the slate, especially yeah. on FanDuel. But he's actually out-targeting T. Higgins in the playoffs. T. Higgins is probably going to double or even triple uh, Uzoma's ownership. So I think including him in any type of stacks is a really good way to get unique. And then going back to what you said about um, CEH and how this game could play out, I, and I don't even think it necessarily needs to be in a blowout scenario, CH only he played less than twenty five percent of the snaps last last week. Saw seven carries while McKinnon saw ten carries. Now McKinnon saw seven targets, had five catches. But my point is, McKinnon doubled up uh, CH's snaps and only saw three more carries. So if somehow the Chiefs get into this game again, you mentioned their their two main players the last time they faced this team didn't do well. Get into a game where they're leaning on the rush more than expected. I, I don't think we can ever project CH well here, but he does make a lot of sense if you're building a lineup that doesn't include Mahomes. If you're playing like Chiefs defense or if you're heavily stacking the Bengals side or something like that, or not even heavily stacking them, maybe like, you know, uh, uh, a chase um, a chase double with Burrow or something like that and having CH as the guy that falls into the touchdowns, I, I think there is a chance that what we saw from McKinnon's snap share last week that maybe somehow they end up running a little bit more than we expected. The likelihood of it, I mean, maybe 15%, maybe even less than that. But if that hits, I mean, that's what we're looking for um, in these in these super small tournaments, right? And Daryl Williams is likely back. And I yeah. think that probably there's, I think more than likely the, the way that that plays itself out is that Daryl does nothing. 
Yeah, but sure. if he is to eat into someone's work, it's probably McKinnon, right? Because he, the way he's been involved as a pass catcher mm-hmm. is going to really impact the way that McKinnon has been used, right? If you're talking right. about if we're on a normal, even a four-game slate, and you're getting into just raw number, point-per-dollar projections, McKinnon is a smash. Like, you just say, yeah. I'm just I'm playing him. I'll figure it out elsewhere. Yeah. But in this, we can't do that here. Um, so we have to start to think about how these – you know, issues could play themselves out. So I think he probably is nothing as far as the impact of Daryl. But yep. if he does come in and he is getting snaps, they trust him and they trust yep. him more so in the passing game in blocking situations, chipping, falling out into the flat, things like that. So that's yep. going to be more, at least how they've been used is more McKinnon than CEH. Yeah. And if he is involved in the game plan, it's, it's probably a game plan where they're, they're running backs just as a whole, the entire backfield's being used um, a lot more than we expected. And, and yeah. again, that could, um, that, that could uh, dampen the outlook of both um, Hill and Kelsey. Do you have uh, just kind of a, a broad overview on this game? Yeah. I mean, I want to be overweight on it. Like you said, I mean, there's yeah. no scenario in which uh, I just don't think that there's a blowout in the sense that, that it's like a 41-13 game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that even if the Chiefs roll here, we're still going to have a lot of production from the Borough side. I just don't yep. see a spot where you know he's not, you know, tossing it around. And they mm-hmm. are really hard to get contrarian. Like we can't even we can talk about six ancillary pieces on the Chiefs. It's pretty thin on you know the Bengals side. There just aren't a lot yep. of other guys that work their way in. Um, so, I mean, Mixon, I think, is a nice way to get access to it. I think that there's not going to be a ton of ownership there. Again, you know, in relation to some of the other guys in the slate, they're going to have a lot of Cam Akers ownership. You talked about McKinnon. I think this is probably more, especially on DraftKings, more of a two running back build with the mm-hmm. way this is. So, you know, three yeah, running oh yeah, backs. Sure. Yeah, three running backs itself is contrarian. So that in itself might lead to less ownership on Mixon. So, uh, that's an interesting way to approach this game. And even though he's not seeing a lot of third down work, he is seeing a nice spike in passing down work on first and second down. And I think maybe there's a chance here where based off of what happened in the first game in week 17, where they got lit up on the outside that you still see a little bit more defensive attention uh, that's going to be paid to them. That maybe leaves a little bit more stuff in the flat uh, and then the inter- intermediate routes for Uzoma for uh, Joe Mixon. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a really good point. Um, I, I think the, the predominant build, or at least by far the least popular build, will be three running backs. With Mixon so expensive, I just don't think many teams are going to have three running backs, whether it's it's saving salary by not playing Mixon, or I, I just don't think a lot of people are going to, um, you know, especially the, the, the hand builds, I don't think they're going to want to put in Eli, uh, Cam, and you know mckinnon in the same lineup i I just don't think that's how people are going to like want to think around the shootout um and i I think the way that i'm approaching this game is just like a casey onslaught like mahomes has been done done such a good job of extending plays um he he just isn't going to take sacks isn't going to throw interceptions i know we saw him do those things in the middle of the season but they've just kind of changed their offense so much to you know counter to what defenses were doing to them into the middle of the season. And we saw it these last couple of weeks. Like he's, if he has to rush for 50 yards on the first drive, he's going to do it. Um, so I really like Kansas city onslaughts here. We saw last week in the Sunday special. I mean, I know that the, uh, points on the bill side were crazily concentrated to Gabriel Davis and, and you can't, um, you know, you can't necessarily project that, but 
so many people think in terms of, you know, if this game does shoot out, then how are the lineups most likely to look? And then they just kind of want to be heavy on both sides. The winning lineup last week from the two game slate was five chiefs with a Gabe Davis bring back. And there's a couple players from the other game. So I, I like that on this side one, because I think it can shoot out and whether, you know, if it's Jamar T that, that hopefully gets all the points. If you build that way, that helps you. But two, if there is a blowout, it's way more likely to be the Chiefs. So you kind of got like two things built in there where, um, it can be concentrated on the Bengals side, or you have a, a KC, um, blowout that can get you to that onslaught too. So I think I'm, I'm either going, um, that way or like, a balanced build without Mahomes, where I play CH, just a super contrarian play, I, th- I think is um, is is the other way I like to approach this game. Yeah, I think you know the CEH and mixing elements, I think, are relatively contrarian on the slate. Yeah. We said that even if you're building, say, three lineups, you have to have one of them, at least one of them, be a Chiefs mm-hmm. onslaught. There's just there's really no other way to do it. Um, obviously, as you start to get up there, diversify. If you're getting out there in lineups, it's, it differs, but that should be the primary build. Yep. Um, so the the second game, I, I think it will mostly be used for late swap more than anything, uh, just because I do think people are going to have so many players from that early game that it's just going to be. And, and it, I think it should be that way, that if you're building, you should just be waiting to see where you stand um, and using this game for late swap. But, you know, we're still going to build our lineups, and hopefully if they're doing well, we could just leave them as they are. 49ers at the Rams, over-under is 45.5. 49ers are 3.5-point underdogs. Implied point total of 21 is by far the lowest on the slate. Rams favored by 3.5 at home. 24.5 point implied point total. And I do think this is interesting because... The Rams actually have a higher implied point total than the Bengals, but there's going to be so much ownership on the Bengals. So I, I do think there there is some leverage here. But before we get into that, the chalk plays in this game are going to be, I mean, it's really going to be Cup and Acres. They could they Cup's not going to be the most popular player at his position because he's so expensive. So he'll be like right in that Hill, Kelsey, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins range. But Acres, he'll battle with McKinnon to be the most popular player on the slate just because they're so affordable on both sides. And then Elijah Mitchell will be propped up as a running back just because there's really only three, four running backs to choose from, depending on how people feel about CEH. People are just looking at three backfields with workhorse backs, and then like maybe CEH gets some ownership. And then to a lesser extent, Debo and Kittle will be owned, but they won't won't be near that 40% range like we talked about. Quarterbacks in this game won't be nearly as owned as the quarterbacks in the first game. So, I mean, does, uh, does, do any of these popular players that we mentioned here stand out to you? I mean, they just feel like, outside of Cup, really, they feel like they're, they're such a mile behind the first game. Yeah, they are. Cup, there's no scenario in which Cooper Cup's not a great play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In any matchup this year, any scenario, any game states, we've seen it. Um, he balls out. And, and really, the strength of the Niners, we've been preaching you know, all playoffs here, is yeah. their run defense. They are second in EPA per yep. rush allowed. They are second in success rates. You know, they have multiple guys that rank individually in the top five in, in uh, run stuff, win rate, like just elite unit, 10 yards uh, mm-hmm. to the line of scrimmage on, on both sides of the ball. So the way to attack them is through the air, and that obviously is, is Cooper Cup, who is a, yep. a smash. I want to get your take on the Acre stuff. Obviously, scoreboard watching, box score watching, 23 of 24 carries last week. Mm-hmm. If we want to get into a little bit more 
you know, narrative driven stuff, two fumbles, one late, one late where we really didn't see if there's an impact yeah. on workload after. And I think we've all been somewhat surprised. Well, first of all, the camera stuff in itself is just fucking insane. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then secondly, like to just Sony Michelle, like he never existed. And yeah. He, he played pretty well. I know that he's not explosive. He's not as dynamic in the passing game as Cam Akers is. But for him to just kind of be a shoot to the sideline for nothing, mm. now the dude's putting the ball on the ground twice in the playoff game. Do you think that there's anything to that here where we maybe see a little bit more Sony and that makes Cam at 60% owns a really hard to stomach? I mean, not even just maybe we uh, see Sony because of the fumbles, but Cam's just been crazy inefficient too. Yes. Um, you know, super. And we've seen this running game be efficient um, with Sony Michelle and even Daryl Henderson, who might get activated himself. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that it's not that I wouldn't, I'm necessarily like going to look to play Sony. I, I don't think he cuts into the work enough. I think more likely you mentioned the 49ers run defense. I, I think more likely what we see is it's just the Stafford Cooper cup show. Um, and that that's how they just get the 49ers and they just, you know, let their, their, their front seven, their pass rush really get all over Jimmy in that pass game, try to, you know, force them to run, um, uh, with Eli or or uh, even Debo, but try to make Jimmy beat them, and I just don't think there's any way they can do that. Um, if they get up quick with with um, with Stafford and and Cup, I think it's really the defense that they're going to be leaning on. So, in in that scenario, I think it's maybe more of a, just a, a three man running back rotation. I Cam Akers probably still leading the way by a lot, um, but that's just kind of a long way of saying I, I do think it's kind of hard to play him as the I shouldn't say hard to play him. There's only four, four and a half running backs to choose from. There's going to be lineups where he just, he's just such a good value. He's going to, but you're going to five K. You're going to slide him in. Um, but I, I think I. It's going to be hard to leave him off of all of my lineups. Um, yeah. I, I think it's going to be easy to be underweight on him. I, I think rotating in McKinnon and CH to a, a lot of my lineups is going to be my primary build. And then my, just my second running back will be either Mixon or even Elijah Mitchell. I think one of my favorite ways just to play this game um, is either the, and this is jumping ahead here. I think like a Stafford, like, cheapish double it's not going to be that cheap with cup but like stafford cup and then like one of his cheap pass catchers and then just lo still loading up on that early game or just going super light on this game with elijah mitchell and the san francisco defense and, and hoping for an upset um because the niners are supposed to have like 65 percent of fans there or something so i i do actually think there's a way where this game doesn't up in an ups upset in a defensive battle where it is the either the elijah mitchell or or debo show um so yeah, I, I think it's you're not going to have a, a zero on Cam Akers because it's such a small slate. Yeah, but I think there's going to be a lot of builds where he just doesn't make his way into my lineup. I mean, we got to tell ourselves stories in this slate, right? We did it in the first game. It's really more so than anything we have. We talked about in showdown. You have to have your lineup tell a story. We definitely have to do the same thing in the two game slates. Yeah. And I can tell a story that I don't think is a stretch where. Cam Akers continues to be inefficient mm -hmm. and that's 95% workload is 65% against yeah. a, a tough run defense. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he's limited to two to three catches and that's not really like I can get that for McKinnon. The problem is on DraftKings, mm -hmm. they left 
Cam Akers at 5K. So like, yep, that's the problem. It's not even like 6K or like you know low sixes, and you'd be like, yep. well, yeah, that's an that's an easier fade. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's really really hard to do. So I can I can get behind that. I I'm still stunned that this is three and a half. I mean, yeah, we don't want. I mean, we can get into like just plain old football narratives, but like this is just fighters styles make fights, and this is a bad matchup for the the Rams. Yeah, we've seen it. We know that you know the success of the last couple of seasons. What's happened this season? Um, so I, you know, I like the Niners. So you know, telling a story in builds that has the Niners comfortably, not comfortably in front, but like in a positive slash neutral script yeah. is something I'm very comfortable doing. And there's a few things at play. I really want to be overexposed to Debo. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not worried about Elijah Mitchell. Uh, he didn't practice on Wednesday. Was limited on Thursday, and I think he's been dealing with this knee injury since like week nine. And last week we saw for the first time since week nine that he didn't have. He had fewer than 21 carries in the game, was limited to only 17. Debo got up to 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the closest that that split's been all season. And then you also have this massive advantage on how the Rams play defense. No one played more zone snaps this season than the Rams did. That works really well because the uh, route leader, uh, the target leader against zone is Debo by a pretty massive margin. He sees 25% of the team targets against man. I mean, uh, against zone 19 against man. So a pretty big split there. And his yards per route run jumps from 1.87 against man all the way up to 3.54 against zone. That's massive. Like I, it's, he's gone for 95 and 97 in the two matchups earlier, just on receiving yards. And now we're laying in like eight to maybe 10 carries. I don't know. I think that he's a really nice way to get contrarian on the slate. And I think mm-hmm. that he is, a, you know, the way to play a third running back uh, because he's going to, you know, get a ton yeah, of carries there too. Uh, I love, I love Debo. I love the Niners here and uh, want to be a little short on, especially the running backs on the Ram side. Yeah. I, I think there's, um, there's two ways I really like approaching this and it's, it's for a couple of reasons. One, I, I think a, a Stafford skinny with cup, just because cups, yeah. the, his, his target share is just out of control. Um, a lot of people are going to want to stack the first game. You could stack this with just these two guys and, uh, you know, kind of like we talked about last week, if if the first game isn't insane, Stafford doesn't have to go bonkers. Like if 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 Mahomes and Burrow just hit their median projection, then you can get there with Stafford if he hits his just because of ownership alone. Cup has slate breaking ability and it still lets you load up on a ton of guys for um, um, the early game. Uh, and on top of that, what having cup in your lineup does late is it gives you a ton of flexibility for late sure. swap. And it's kind of the same reason I, I like building around the San Francisco win narrative too, but I think building that very light, we we know or we're pretty sure that Jimmy Garoppolo can't support two pass catchers, right? So they won 27 to 24 in the last week of the season, which is a shootout for these two teams, but it took overtime to get there. Mm-hmm. So we just don't, on, on this slate, Jimmy Garoppolo is by far the least likely quarterback to support two pass catchers. So I'm just not interested in stacking the 49er side in a win. As you said, following the narrative, I think it makes a lot of sense to have like a Debo San Francisco defense, maybe throw a cup in there, but like a Debo San Francisco defense, even though I, I do like Mitchell Debo um, just gives you again, a little bit more flexibility in your salary. Um, if you, you have, 
have him in your flex. You have San Francisco defense. Maybe if you have another player from this game, um, it lets you have a little bit of flexibility in late swap with your salary. So I think I'm, I'm approaching this game from very, very light, um, but doing it with that idea that it is going to be um, late swap. Now, again, if you're building 20 lineups or 100 lineups, 150 lineups, like, sure, you're going to do some funky things with this game. Like, you might have a heavy stack on this game. Like, like a, that makes sense for, like, a CH Joe Mixon um, lineup, yeah. right? It makes sense to go heavy on this game. There are ways for the games to go off the rails if you're including Chiefs defense or Bengals defense in that lineup and go heavy on this game. That makes sense. If you're just go doing a balanced lineup, you're going to have some of those. But if I'm doing a single entry lineup or if I'm doing, like, a three max, it's going to be heavy on this game and just with either that Stafford Cup or the, the Debo um, San Francisco defense pairing. Yeah, I think that's the right way to do it. I think the one thing I would say that maybe I think just in a vacuum, you're right about Jimmy G. He's not been able to sustain two pass catchers, but in the scenario where we're trying to get unique on the slates and with the way that Debo's being used, yeah, he almost kind of works a little bit differently where sure. he's a little bit, you know, flexible where I don't mind because again, where the splits are pretty massive in, in zone versus man, where you could go. Uh, you know, Jimmy Kittle Debo um, with cup on the bring back again, it's hard because you're doing that knowing that you are playing Jimmy Garoppolo on a two game slate that involves Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, who's, you know, hanging 400 yards, you know, three times in the last four games or so. So that is hard to get to, but again, we have to be a little bit uncomfortable from a game theory standpoint in these massive contests. And again, depends on your contest selection, if you're playing higher stakes, you know, single entry, it's you know, a little bit harder to justify yeah. a Jimmy double. But again, if you were playing in some of these lottery contests, you know, Millie makers or things like yeah. that, you know, that's a little easier to swallow, uh, you know, and try to find, you know, like you said, you, Jimmy double cup, bring back, and then you're bringing CH and mix in in there and kind of, you know, filling in where you need to. But uh, otherwise I think, yeah, you need to sprinkle it in, uh, in support of the, the early game. Yeah. My, I mean, like my, my only problem, Obviously, with uh, Jimmy G, you're getting, um, you know, you're going to get way lower ownership than the other guys. Like my only problem with it is you're not necessarily saving a a ton of salary because salaries are already like kind of even on DraftKings, they've kind of made it where you can, for the most part, fit in whoever you want. You can't fit in like a, a Tyreek Kelsey Cup lineup, but you are optimal has like either Tyreek or Kelsey with Cup, um, with Mahomes, with the Chiefs defense. So for the most part, you could already kind of do whatever you want. Um, which is why, like, if, if Jimmy G was like opening up the slate to where I can get to three studs and I couldn't without him, I, I think I would like it a little more. We never talk about Yahoo on here. I will say on Yahoo, he's priced so much below the other guys that it does let you do that. Like their pricing is still really like aggressive on the high end and he's way below the other guys. So if you're playing like the Yahoo baller or something like that, it, I, I think it's a little more viable for me. Again, if you are somebody that's 150 maxing the milli, have a couple of Jimmy lineup, Jimmy lineups, like by all means. Um, but if you're playing like, you know, the, the, the seven, seven, seven with a hundred guys, I, it's, no. it's a tough, it's yeah. a tough, yeah, I just don't, I don't, yeah. I don't see it. Um, no. any, any final thoughts on, on the, this two game slate? I mean, it's, it's tough to just give like a, a single way to go. We both like stacking the chiefs. Um, you know, there's, there's only so many combinations, but, um, any takeaways before we get out of here? No, I wouldn't mind getting, you know, a little bit heavier on the Niners in comparison mm-hmm. to the fields. Like you said, I mean, they are yeah. the lowest total 
so that, you know, naturally they're going to be, um, you know, underdogs and they're going to be less owned than some of the other stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it all playoffs is you got to be a little uncomfortable. If yeah. you click and you're looking at it and it kind of fits salary wise and you're barely leaving any money on the table and you really like it, I would just clear it and start yeah. again because you're, you know, there's no way you're not running into a dupe lineup. Yeah, I, I think the um, my my predominant strategy is going to be to go very heavy on that first game with the the caveats that I talked about in the late game, like a Debo San Francisco defense or or a Stafford Cup single stack, um, but just really loading up on that first game in some capacity and leaving salary on the table. I, I put a tweet out um, on my uh, account yesterday that showed all of the top 10 lineups from a bunch of DraftKings tournaments um, last week from the Saturday two-gamer and the Sunday two-gamer and how much salary they left on the table. And there's not like a, a, a ton in the top 10 that are leaving like a thousand on the table, but in the bigger field stuff, the range was pretty comfortable from like 300 to like 900. Again, in small field stuff, like like less than a thousand people or even just like 2,000 people, um, it, it's not as extreme, but that kind of makes sense. The more entries there are, the the more combinations are going yeah. to be, the more lineup combinations going to be, the more ways you need to get unique. Um, even on the four gamer last week, I had a couple of lineups where I was like setting rules to where I left at least a thousand on the table. That was a little bit aggressive, but even in a four gamer, there were so many duped lineups that when my lineup scored, they were jumping hundreds of lineups at a time so i think it's a really good idea just to think in terms of whether like obviously we're thinking in terms of stacking and stuff like that but thinking in terms of ways to be really unique and i think salary on the table is one of the easiest ones for these slates yeah and again DraftKings in, in particular i think three running backs is, is going to be a, a naturally unique build so yeah that's a really know, good point that's going to be a spot where you don't necessarily have to yeah you know, leave a ton of money, but just that building itself is going to be pretty yeah. contrarian. So yeah, that's, that's, that's really, really smart. Um, and, and something that I'll, I'll definitely be thinking about, um, going into my builds. Um, all right, that does it for championship round. That does it for the 2021 season. Uh, I will be back at, at some point. Um, best balls are already kicking off, but more importantly, uh, Ryan's heading up the betting side of things over at four for four. Just make sure you're checking that out. Um, just a, a ton of off season content over there. And we're not far away from NFL betting because they get those futures out pretty quick. So, uh, make sure you're checking that out. Drafts. Yeah. Drafts. Yeah amazing amazing betting action on the draft yes. so make sure you're make sure you're checking that out um if you're watching this on youtube please make sure you sub subscribe to the uh podcast no matter where you get your podcast if you're listening on the audio please check out the youtube please rate and review on itunes please like and subscribe on youtube please give us a follow on twitter four for four is at four for four football ryan is at ryan noonan i'm at tj hernandez we'll talk to you guys next season